years ago, uh, my guess is that it was around 1992 or three. Uh, some of you weren't alive back then. Some of, some of you were, some of you were well alive back then. But um, I was traveling the country, preaching a lot of revivals and, and preaching in a lot of churches. And I wasn't seeing what I wanted to see happen. I, I felt like there was more that, uh, that could happen. And I was in Nashville, Tennessee and went into a Christian bookstore. And as I was in that bookstore, I ran across a book. And it was a book titled Prayer and Revival by E.M. Bounds. And I started to read that book. This was a compilation of papers they found uh, that he wrote. They, they, they found it after he died in his office. And they, they took these pages and made a book out of it. And I found this book. And this book literally reshaped my life. Uh, it's, it's an awesome book about prayer. When I was a youth pastor here in the, in the mid-90s, we bought a bunch of copies. A lot of people in the church and youth group bought them, and we read them together. And I want to read to you a paragraph out of that book as a, as a jumping-off point for tonight's lesson. Uh, and here he wrote it on December the 26th of 1891. For those of you that don't know, E.M. Bounds was... Uh, if, if he had to label himself, he labeled himself as a Methodist preacher. Uh, of course, you know that, that uh, the Pentecostal revival started in a Methodist mission in Azusa. Uh, that's where part of the, the, of, uh, the Pentecostal revival really took hold. And so here's what he wrote. This was December 26, 1891. He wrote, what is Pentecost? Is it an historic fact only, fossilized, barren past? Or is it a present living energy that should be reproduced in the history of every individual and every church in all places and for all times? Pentecost is but the gospel in practice and full operation. Pentecost is but the Holy Ghost in concrete form. Pentecost gives the power that executes the gospel. The gospel cannot be carried out in any place or under any conditions in an aggressive, authoritative way without Pentecostal power. What the Holy Ghost was to the disciples on the day of Pentecost, he must be in us. The Holy Ghost set the church in motion with full force, and he alone can keep the church moving and empowered. That's a great paragraph. Amen. That's a great paragraph. And so back uh, a couple of Sunday mornings ago, I preached a message titled Another Level of Prayer. And it was uh, after preaching that that the Lord began to deal with me about teaching a series on prayer. Last Wednesday night, I taught on relational prayer and how prayer comes from our relationship with God and develops through our relationship with God. Uh, tonight, I'm going to be doing a lesson on praying in the Holy Ghost. Uh, next Wednesday, Brother Seals will be here. And then the two Wednesdays following, I'm going to be teaching on the ministry of intercessory, intercessory prayer. And I'm going to be teaching on meditation and prayer the following week. Uh, so that's, that's the layout of the next three weeks after tonight. So tonight, 
I want to talk to you about praying in the Holy Ghost. And I'd like to read a couple of verses to you from the book of Jude. And that's verse 20 and 21. And it says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And so tonight... We're going to explore a form of prayer that is primarily Pentecostal, a Pentecostal method. We call it praying in the Holy Ghost. Sometimes we call it praying in the Spirit. Uh, the indwelling Holy Spirit of God is a gift to every believer. I've, I, I've, I've said it, I've said it uh, recently. I've taught uh, Bible studies, preached sermons on it, that the Holy Ghost is a gift. And so... The indwelling Spirit of God is a gift to the believer. Now, why do people give gifts? Why do people give gifts? Now, I, I'll tell you that uh, one time I got a gift, and, uh, and it was a plaid pillow. It's about this big. And I didn't ask for a plaid pillow. I didn't want a plaid pillow. I didn't have a use for a plaid pillow. And so I asked why I got a plaid pillow, and they said, because I had $5 more to spend on you. <laughs> what I wanted to say was, just give me the $5. <laughs> I'll, I'll buy something besides a plaid pillow. Well, God doesn't give gifts just because he has more to spend on us. When God gives us a gift, he gives us a gift. The Bible says that our Heavenly Father gives Good gifts, not the tie you may never wear or the plaid pillow or the socks with llamas on it that you'll never wear. And, and Maybe you will wear those. I, I probably wouldn't, but I'm probably going to get a pair now. <laughs> the point is that when God gives a gift, he gives a gift for a purpose, for a reason. He wants us to get something from the Holy Ghost that he gives us. And so the Bible calls it the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is God's gift to the believer to fulfill his purpose in our life. The Holy Ghost helps the believer, helps the Christian live a spirit-filled life in a godless world. And if you don't believe we're living in a godless world, all you got to do is open your eyes and realize that this is a wicked generation. But the church was made for this generation. We were made for such a time as this. God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He has given us the ability to live a godly life in this present world. And he does that through the Holy Ghost. We are made of body, soul, and spirit. Our body is given for us to interact with the natural world. It's with taste, touch, feel, hearing, all of the natural senses that God's given us, our fleshly body is given to us to interact with the natural world. Our human spirit refers primarily to the mind, the will, and the emotions that, that we feel, and that, that part of us can interact with both the natural and the spiritual world. We can feel the presence of God, but we also feel the emotions of relationship, hurt, love, pain, anguish that comes from, from the emotions. And so the spirit 
refers to the mind, the will, and the emotion, and it interacts both with the physical and the spiritual realm. And our soul is that part that God breathed into us in the Garden of Eden. And when he breathed his breath into our soul, into our, into, into our bodies, the Bible said we became a living soul. And so that soul is a piece of that eternal God that's inside of us. When God formed man of the dust of the earth, he breathed, that's Genesis 2 and 7, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And so that soul is our eternal self that will spend eternity either in heaven or in hell. And it is, your soul is who you really are. Your body is who you temporarily are, but your soul is who you eternally are. And so you have to be good to your soul because it's going to last forever somewhere. So you do not have a soul. You are a soul. You have to understand that. You have a body, but you are a soul. That body you have is going to wear out. Trust me. If you don't already know it, trust me, it will wear out. You have a body, but you are a soul. The most, the most important part of who you are is your soul. And if you got to be good to any part of who you are, you better be best to your soul. I've seen people that'll feed their body in excess but won't feed their soul at all. You do not have a soul. You are a soul. Say that with me. I am a soul. Your soul has a body, but in reality, what you are is a soul. And that soul is God-breathed. Your soul was breathed into you by God. It's part, it's that, that, that eternal part that he put inside of you. I've come to tell you today that your soul, and I've already said it, but I'm going to say it again, your soul is the most important part of who you are it's the most important part of who you are your body will age eventually die but your soul is your most precious commodity because it's that part of you that's going to live for eternity somewhere your soul your soul is the subject of utmost importance to you today the bible is clear that the priority in your life must be your soul Two times the Gospels address the priority of the soul, Matthew 16 and 26. And I, I do have a lot of scriptures. Uh, when Brother Zach, who's heading up our media team and our, our production and all that, when he picked up my scripture list, I just heard him say, oh. <laughs> and so, um, I mean, it's a Bible study. So that's what we do. I'm going to try not to be too lengthy. To be honest with you, I ate lunch uh, a long time ago, and I haven't had supper. And so uh, the faster I go, the quicker I get supper and go to bed. But my body's not the most important part. My soul is, so I'm not going to rush it too much. Matthew 16, 26. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world? and lose his own soul? And, and so that's a powerful question. Isn't that a powerful question? What would it profit a man if he would gain the whole world? Do you think, now, 
One time I figured up, and it's been a long time, and I don't have the numbers, and they're probably completely irrelevant now, but, uh, but probably 25 years ago, 20 years ago, I figured up how much money Bill Gates was worth and how much money he made a year and how much he made per minute. Then I broke it down to per second. He makes more per minute than probably most all of us combined would make in a year. It's incredible. However, he can make all that, and I don't know the standing of his soul. I don't know his standing with God. I don't know any of that. I've never met him, never talked to him. But I'll tell you what, if he gains all of that, the wealthiest man in the world, and he dies and stands before God, and hears God say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Do you think that he would trade every penny he ever earned on earth for the opportunity to escape the burning fires of hell? Absolutely. So what is a man profited if he, would gain, if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? And then he restates the same point in a secondary question, or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? It looks like two questions, but in reality, it's basically the same question. Because if I lose my soul, if I die and I go to hell, I've traded my soul for something. Might be worldly pleasure, might be a relationship with somebody that, that wasn't the will of God that drove me from his presence. It might be riches, it might be fame, it might be whatever it is. But if I'm lost for any reason, it's because I traded my soul for something that had very little to no value. And so Mark reiterates the point, Mark 8, 36 and 37, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Let me tell you tonight, and, and this, does have, this does have something to do with my, with my subject of prayer, I, I, I promise. Your soul is hungry for God. Say it with me. My soul is hungry for God. Your soul is thirsty for God. Your soul needs God for it to thrive. I'm telling you tonight that your soul is desperate for a touch from God. I know that many times our flesh, our body craves sin. We find it through addiction, through relationships, through carnal lust, whatever the case may be. Often our natural body craves sin. Your body may be craving some substance, alcohol, drugs, something of this world, whatever the case may be. But I will tell you that your soul craves God. You may not even be aware of it, uh, but your soul is crying out to commune with its creator. Your soul is hungry for God. Now, many people simply ignore God, but your soul is waiting for him. Let me read you a scripture. I'm going to be in the book of Psalms for a, a, a few minutes here tonight. This, now, look, this wasn't good for you. I forgot to start my timer. And so it starts now. Psalms 33 and 20. Our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Our soul waiteth for the Lord. 
You may be waiting for supper. You may be waiting for whatever the case may be, but your soul really is waiting for God. Your, your soul isn't concerned about what time you eat. Your soul's not con concerned about vacation days. Your soul's not concerned about the Super Bowl. Your soul's not concerned about any of that. Your soul is waiting on the Lord. We may be waiting on retirement. We may be waiting on the weekend. We may be waiting on whatever, but your soul is waiting on God. And so whatever our natural man craves is secondary to what our soul is craving. My soul waiteth for the Lord. Our flesh, because of its sin nature, wants the world, but our soul wants God. So Psalms 42, 1 and 2, as the heart panteth, after the water brooks, the, the heart, the word heart here, you'll, you'll notice it's not spelled like the organ in your chest. It's not H-E-A-R-T. It's not talking about the, 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 the flesh heart in your chest. It's not talking about the heart as we use it like my, my heart, I, I, like, you know, the Valentine's Day heart. It's not talking about emotional. The word heart here is actually a deer. It's a deer that was specially uh, equipped for climbing in mountain heights that's, that's uh, particularly familiar to the part of the world, the Middle East area where this was written. And so what he's talking about here is a deer. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And so he likens, because most, most men in that day, they didn't have supermarkets. You didn't go to the supermarket and, and, and buy, uh, you know, a, a couple of pounds of ground beef to feed your family. You, you went out. And so the man, the hunter, could identify with this verse. As the deer pants for the water brook, he said, that's how my soul feels about God. He goes on in Psalm 63 and 8, my soul followeth hard after thee. My soul wants you, God. My soul is searching for you. My soul is looking for you. What my soul wants is your presence, God. Psalms 84, 1 and 2, how amiable or how wonderful are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. My soul longeth. Can, can, can you, I, I know we don't often, because there's so much noise in the world. There's so many distractions in the world. There's so many things in the world. There's so much stuff. I, I am convinced, and I, I, and, and I, know, I, I know that this sounds like, uh, like, like an old man talking, and that's okay. That doesn't really bother me. But I'm going to tell you that, that, that a lot of the stuff that is in the world today has been sent by the enemy to be a distraction from the soul. If your soul, if your conscience, if your heart starts saying you need God, you can just press a button on your phone, play a game, text somebody, do social media. You can turn on a, a screen and you can watch a ball game or a program or whatever. You can flip the radio on, listen to a, anything you can do to distract yourself from that longing of the soul. But if you could hear your soul, 
Your soul is longing for the presence of the Lord. Psalms 119.81, my soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. Psalms 94.17, unless the Lord had been my help, my soul had almost dwelt in silence. And that's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Because a lot of us, we struggle to hear our soul, don't we? We get busy with work, home, everything else we got going on in life, school, whatever you've got going on in your life. We've got so much stuff going on that sometimes it's difficult for us to pause and hear the longing of our soul. The psalmist said, if it hadn't been for the Lord helping me, my soul would have just dwelled and I never would have heard the voice of my soul saying, hey, you need God. You need to talk to God right now. You need the presence of God right now. If, if it hadn't been for the Lord just reminding me, just imagine how many people in this world live every day with not ever thinking about God or his presence or his goodness or his mercy or their need of him. Just living day by day for stuff, for things that are empty, that have no value, that, that, that bring no real eternal value and they're, they're so consumed with all of that and they never take the time to think, I wonder what God wants for me today. He said, if it hadn't been for the Lord helping me, my soul, my soul was almost silenced. It had almost completely lost its voice. I had almost completely lost the influence of my soul. If I almost had it where I didn't feel the desperation of my soul anymore. I'd gotten so close to where I could sit through a church service and not even feel conviction at all. My soul was almost silenced. But you're here on a Wednesday night. And so we realize that our souls are really screaming out at us right now. I would dare say that somewhere in here right now, there's somebody that, that's thinking, God, I haven't given you enough this week. I haven't, I, I've, I've, I've gone all the way, here it is on Wednesday, and I've, and I've not even really taken the time to consider the needs of my soul. And so the Spirit of God is the infilling presence of God in our life. When we talk about the Holy Ghost, the Bible uses the terms Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit interchangeably. Uh, there's times when it says Holy Spirit, times when it says Holy Ghost, but what it's talking about is the Spirit of God. And so, so we have to realize that that Spirit, the Bible calls it Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. Aren't you glad you got hope? And that hope comes from Christ in you through his spirit. And so the spirit is the infilling presence of God. That power inside of us that nourishes and strengthens our soul. What air is to your lungs, the spirit is to your soul. What food is to your belly, the spirit is to your soul. What water is to your cells, the spirit is to your soul. And so our spirit our spirit is craving the presence of God and the Holy Ghost is that spirit. Amen. And so part of the ministry of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit is to interact with the soul inside of us. John 16 and 13, how be it when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth 
For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. The Spirit of God guides us into all truth, speaks into our spirit. He, he wants to show us the way. The Bible said the Holy Ghost is our teacher. So we need the interaction of the Spirit of God to connect to the soul inside of us. All right? Everybody alive? You understand what we're talking about? What we're talking about is we've got a soul inside of us. And without the Spirit of God touching that soul, that soul is desperately in need of something. The spirit to your soul is everything that your is like everything that your body craves in this world. Food, water, shelter, all that. It all is ministered to us through the Holy Ghost. All right? And so the Bible describes three specific purposes for the Christian to speak in tongues. When we're talking about the spirit from a Pentecostal perspective. Number one is the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the initial evidence. And, I, and, and, and if I, I mean, you, you don't want, we don't have time to go into all of this tonight. But as the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you can look in Acts 2, you can look in, uh, you can look in, in the Bible when it, in Acts 10, where it talked about, the, uh, the, about Cornelius, the Italians, when the Holy Ghost fell on him and his house, they knew it had happened because the Bible said, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And so that's one purpose. The second purpose is as a gift of the Spirit, which must be accompanied with an interpreter. It operates much like prophecy, where someone would give a message in tongues, and then that message is interpreted, and it works together as prophecy, and the purpose is for the edifying of the church. You can read about that in Corinthians. I've got a whole Bible study on the three types of speaking in tongues. I've taught it two or three times on midweeks, uh, and, and I may do it again sometime in, in the not-too-distant future. Number three, specifically what we're talking about tonight, is tongues at, is a devotional tongue in personal prayer. And so tonight I'm dealing only with devotional tongues or what we sometimes call a prayer language. And again, the whole setup for this, the last 11 minutes or so since I've started my timer, has been designed specifically to make us understand how desperately your soul needs those moments when you interact with the Spirit of God. It is breath to your spirit. It is food. It is water. It is, it, it's, it's all the essential things that your spirit needs if your spirit is going to thrive in a world that does not allow the Spirit of God to move. And so your soul desperately needs to inhale, if you will, or to breathe in the Spirit of God. Did you know, and, and, and you, you probably do, did you know that the words used for spirit when it comes to the Spirit of God, if you look it up, the Spirit of God in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God in the New Testament, both words in the Hebrew Old Testament, the word is ruach, it means breath. In the New Testament, it's pneuma, which means breath. The ancient writers were specifically trying to, to tell us, to let us know that the Spirit is the breath of the soul. When we talk about inspiration, we talk about inspiration. You know the, the, the technical term for inspiration means to breathe in or to inhale, to inspire. 
when we talk about being inspired by the Lord, what we're talking about is breathing in his spirit. It's the inspiration. And when you die, it's expiration. So let's talk about this devotional, this devotional tongue in prayer. 1 Corinthians 14, 13 and 15, through 15. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the understanding also. Now notice specifically what the apostle Paul said. If I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth. But my understanding is unfruitful. I, when I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit is praying. My natural mind doesn't understand what I'm praying. I don't know what I'm praying. When I pray in the Holy Ghost, I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know what I'm praying. But, but the Bible said that, with, that when I do that, it's my spirit that's praying. He said, my understanding is unfruitful. So then he said, in, in, now let's look at verse 15 again. What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the understanding. Paul said, I will pray with the Spirit. He said, I'm going to pray in the Holy Ghost. I'm going to pray in the Spirit. Because when I do that, my Spirit's praying and I need that. He said, but I'm not only going to pray in the Spirit. I'm also going to pray with understanding. I'm also going to engage my, my rational, my understanding mind for the things that I know I need. I'm not, I, I'm, there's, there's times when you pray in the spirit and there's times when you pray in understanding. And Paul said, I'm going to do both. There's some people that, that they get so caught up, all they ever do is pray in the spirit. And they never say, they never, they never say, God, teach me to be faithful too. And there's some folks that they never pray in the spirit. All they do is all the things that their natural mind can reason, that they can figure out. In, in the natural, God, give me my food, give me my, my, my work, give me this, help me feel better, heal my sickness, do this, bless this, bless. And, 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 and he, Paul, Paul said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to find balance in my prayer life. And the way I'm going to find that balance is I'm going to pray in the spirit and I'm going to pray in under, with understanding also. Now, I'm not sure, so, so I'm getting ready to make a statement. I'm not sure if there's specific weight given to the order in which he said it. I don't know if he was trying to emphasize praying in the spirit by saying it first and saying the other and, and praying with understanding second. I don't know. But I want to give you, if I can, four benefits of praying in the Holy Ghost. Number one, praying in the spirit builds up your inner man in your faith. Praying in the spirit builds up your inner man in your faith. The first verse we read tonight, Jude 1 and 20, says, But ye, beloved... Building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. I am thankful. Look, I'm thankful for the ministry. I was, I was uh, teasing Sister Jennifer Williams uh, Saturday afternoon uh, when, when she spoke at the, at the ladies' conference. She finished the conference up, and when she got done, she prayed for everybody almost everybody she prayed for a lot of bodies and uh 
and, and uh, man, God used her mightily. And, uh, and it was a ladies' conference, so I kind of hung back a little bit and kind of stayed out of the way. Uh, I learned my lesson about getting caught up amongst a bunch of women in the altar one time. And so I, I keep my distance if I can. And uh, when, she was, when she was done, I asked her, I said, Sister, Sister Jennifer, are you finished? And she said, yes, sir, I am. So I said, okay, well, we'll let, let's go to the back because I, I, I had to pay for her, her trip and all that, pay her for coming. And we got, about, we got about to where Brother Kenny and Sister Gail are right now. And she stopped and she started prophesying to me. And she prayed for me and prophesied all this stuff over me. And, uh, and, and I prayed and, and received it as, as from the Lord, especially since it was all stuff I liked to hear. <laughs> and, uh, and, and when she was done, I said, thank you for that. But you know you lied. She looked like, like you know that look she can give. And, and, uh, and, and she said, what I lie? I said, you told me up there you were done and you didn't make it 10 pews before you started back. <laughs> I'm thankful for the ministry of people that speak into my life. I'm thankful for pastors and evangelists and, and prophets and teachers. And, and I'm thankful for the whole, the whole scope of people that pray for me. I'm thankful for, for man, there's, there's people here. Brother Travis, you tell me on a regular basis that you pray for me every day. You don't know how much I appreciate that. And, and I know it's not just, I know that, and I appreciate it. But a wise man doesn't entrust the well-being of his soul entirely into other people's hands. Jude said that praying, when we are praying in the Holy Ghost, we are building up ourselves on our most holy faith. One of the reasons why we need to pray in the Holy Ghost is because praying in the Holy Ghost builds ourselves up. It builds up our faith. It helps us to be stronger. Now, if you don't mind putting verse 20 back up for me, Jude 1 and 20. I'm going to read that again, but I want you to notice, I want you to notice uh, the punctuation mark at the end of verse 20. Who can see it? What is it? A comma. What does a comma mean? It means it's not over, right? Right? You didn't know you was coming to Bible slash English class means that sentence isn't over. Now, you could say that maybe it's a run-on sentence, but that's not my business right now. So let's look at this. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, comma. So that tells us that verse 21 is relative to this verse, right? All right, let's look at verse 21. Check this out. Somebody found this the other day, and they, had, they were doing it on the floor, and Brother Zach and Sister Ashley's little girl, Olivia, she's so sweet. They were doing it, and she was just chasing it all over the floor. She, she, she's got cat tendencies. So let's go back to verse 20. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, Praying in the Holy Ghost, comma. 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So putting those two verses together, 
Do you understand how important it is that we allow our soul to connect with God? It builds us up. Now look, in, in verse 21, there's two verbs. There's two verbs. And it's keep and looking. Keeping ourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of God. And there's one result unto eternal life. It's important that we don't make our souls starve from the presence of God because what we're talking about is praying in the Holy Ghost builds up our most holy faith and it helps us to keep ourselves in the love of God and to look for the mercy of God unto eternal life. So we have to understand that this is an, this is an important topic, isn't it? Amen. Thank you. He reiterates the value to the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 14 and 4. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. But he that prophesieth edifieth the church. So there's a lot of denominations out. I'm not going to argue with them. I'm here to teach this church. But opponents often use this verse to say, well, instead of speaking in tongues, we should just prophesy. Well, that's not what this verse is saying. This verse says, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. Is it important to edify yourself? That word edify is this like where the term edifice comes from. It means to build up. Praying he that speaketh an unknown tongue builds up himself. Right back to the previous verse from Jude, the building up. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue builds up himself. He that prophesieth the church. Sometimes I'm the pastor. It's my job to edify the church. But I cannot edify the church if I don't spend time in prayer with God and edify myself. No man can do for someone else what he won't do for himself, spiritually speaking. So, the word edify in the Greek means literally a house builder. So, when you pray in the Holy Ghost, what you're doing is you're building your spiritual house. Praying in the, number two, praying in the Spirit helps us when we don't know how to pray or what to pray. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. The word helpeth there means to take hold of together. It's, it's, like, uh, it's like if you have something to move that's heavy, like you have a cooler full of, 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 of ice and food and, and you, you get on one side and somebody else gets on the other side. That's what it means, literally, to take hold of together. It means to cooperate, to assist, to lay hold along with, to strive to obtain with others, help in obtaining. What, so the Holy, likewise, the Spirit cooperates and helps us with our infirmities. The word infirmities, we think of infirmities as being sick, right? Like COVID, they're gonna they're gonna drive it till it's they're gonna try to drive it till it's COVID three thousand. But I refuse it. The word infirmities means feebleness of mind or body, moral frailty, disease, sickness, lack of strength, weakness, 
infirmity of the body, feebleness of health, sickness of the soul, lack of strength or capacity needed to do, th to do things great and glorious, to bear trials and troubles. He said, the Spirit helps our infirmities. The Spirit helps us where we're weak. The Spirit helps build up those parts of us that are struggling, that need strength, that needs built up those parts of us. Everybody's stronger in some areas than others. The Holy Spirit helps us in the areas where we need some more strength. It helps our infirmities. Look what it says. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. He says, we don't really know what to pray for. We don't really know what to pray for. Now, if I was going to pray with my understanding right now, and all I was going to pray for was my natural understanding, I would pray for my, the calf in my right leg. It's been cramping for two days. That's one thing I'd pray for. But my soul probably has more important things than that to think about. If I was praying in my flesh, I would pray, Lord, let me get to that supper before I go to bed tonight. Bless it in Jesus' name, amen. But that may not be what my utmost, because I don't know what my tomorrow holds, but the Spirit does. I don't know what's coming towards this church tomorrow, but the Spirit does. I don't know what I may be facing, what enemies of the soul, what demonic spirits are out there tracking, trying to destroy my walk with God and my ministry, but the Spirit does. And so, the, so Paul said the Spirit helps us in the areas that we're weak and the areas that we're lacking because we don't really know what we ought to pray for. Some of you have felt needs that you think you need God to do. But in reality, that's probably not your most important need. The, the soul, the Spirit of God knows what we really... Have you ever been surprised by something that came out of nowhere? That you wish, God, if I'd have known this yesterday, I could have prayed about it. But you don't know. But the Bible said the Spirit helps. The Spirit helps us in those areas we lack because we don't know what we ought to pray for. One of the major things that we need about praying in the Holy Ghost is it helps us pray when we don't know what to pray or how to pray. Amen. Let me move on. Romans 8, 26. I read it. Let me read that. And then we're going to go directly into verse 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Praying in the Spirit helps us understand the mind of the Spirit. Number three, praying in the Holy Ghost brings rest and refreshing. Anybody here need some refreshing? Some rest. Isaiah 28 and 11, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest and this is the refreshing. 
There is a spiritual uplifting that comes from praying in the Holy Ghost. There is a refreshing to the soul that comes, a rest, if you will. Number four, praying in the Holy Ghost helps us to pray for hidden things not obvious to our human understanding. This builds off one of the previous points. 1 Corinthians 14 and 2, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. When you pray in the Holy Ghost, your spirit is speaking to God in an unfiltered, unfettered way. I, I've told this story, I've done it at, at ministers' conferences around the country about a time when I was dealing with some very difficult decisions, some very difficult times as pastor. And, uh, and, and I, I remember being back in the prayer room by myself, uh, middle of the day, nobody, Brother Ronnie, nobody else was in the church. It was just me. And, uh, and I was talking to God. And to be honest, I was just complaining and whining and crying and just, just babying to God. I know nobody else in this place has ever done that. And every time I'd pray, and every time I'd try to talk to God and I'd complain and I'd ask God, and, and you know, I, I, and, and God would just, God would just turn it right around on me. And he would deal with me about stuff I needed to change about me. And, and God knows my goofy personality, so I don't suggest that everybody does this, but he knows me. And finally one day I said, God, if you keep doing this to me, I'm not going to talk to you for a while. But I have a tendency when I talk to God about problems about me to sugarcoat it, to make me look better. For some reason, I know God knows, but I don't like saying it as plain as it is. God, you know I'm a loser. You know I'm no good. God, you know I don't have it all together. God, and we don't want to do that, do we? We don't like to be just plain, do we? So we try to make ourselves look better when we talk to God. When we pray in the Holy Ghost, our spirit is talking not to men but to God. And the spirit, he, it speaks, it says things we wouldn't say. It asks help for things that we too embarrassed to ask God to help us with. Anybody ever have things you know you need God to help you with but you can't quite say it because you're embarrassed to say it before God? I saw a few nods. I'm going to ask you what they are. Don't worry, we're not. But we do that, don't we? It's one of the reasons you need to pray in the Holy Ghost because your spirit talks to God about things that you wouldn't want to audibly say and you, you, you wouldn't want to even talk about. But, God, but your spirit knows what it needs. Understand, your spirit is craving interaction with God. Your spirit's not afraid about what other people think about it. Your spirit's not afraid about, about what other people want or think about you. Your spirit knows what it needs. It's searching, following hard after God, longing for his presence. And so that's why we need to let our spirit pray unfettered and unhindered by our human pride and will. And so he says, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God, for no man understandeth him. No man understands what my spirit is praying. Howbeit in the spirit he speaks mysteries. Let me conclude tonight. I thought I'd get an amen. Did the alarm just go off? Did I, did the bell just sound? I thought, maybe that's just me. I, maybe that's the Lord telling me my alarm's going off. 
I don't know. I, one of the, you know, I can't see as good as I used to, and I can't hear as good as I used to. And uh, but I fix what hair I have left as good as I ever have. <laughs> Let me conclude by saying that by and large, the modern American church wants Christianity without spiritual imposition. Modern Christianity, by and large, wants their religion in a well-contained box. Not radical, only in the church house, not interfering with my lifestyle or desires, just keep it tame, dry, and comfortable. Let me keep it in its box. But God doesn't want the watered-down, ineffective, secularized form of Christianity that's so popular today. God wants our human spirit engaged and lit by his spirit. Amen. And so Proverbs 20 and 27, Proverbs 20 and 27 said, The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. That, that in, at the time that this scripture was written, a candle was the... Uh, was, was the, the form of light that they had. If you were writing that today, the, the modern rendition may say something like, the spirit of a man is the flashlight of the Lord, searching inside of us. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts. Your spirit was given to you. God wants to ignite your spirit partially so it can reveal things in you that you don't know is there. Searching the inward man. We think we know what we would do in certain situations, but until you're in that situation, you don't really know. I've always said an evangelist doesn't know what he believes until he pastors. Because when he's in another man's pulpit, he can snort and spit and holler and yell and say this and that. And then when he has to look across the desk and somebody says, I'm leaving if you don't let me do that. And you have to say, I love you, but I can't change the word. And so what you don't know what's in you until the moment comes. He said the spirit of, the man, of, of man is the candle of the soul. It's the light that shines inside. I need my candle lit so I can be what God wants me to be. Psalms 18 and 28, for thou will light my candle. The Lord, my God, will enlighten my darkness. God wants to light your candle. God wants to light your soul, illuminate your soul so that you can see what's inside of you. God wants to reveal the mysteries of our inner man so we can truly be disciples and make disciples. Notice now, I read Psalms 18.28. This is the last verse, Psalms 18.29. 18.28, for thou will light my candle, the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness for by thee, the very next verse, for by thee I have run through a troop, and by my God I have leaped over a wall. We like this verse. That's a verse of victory. 
That's the verse where we get to the other side and we flex our muscles and say, look how awesome I am. I am great. I am powerful. We like that verse. How many times have, when you, when you uh, needed a little boost of, of spiritual uh, energy, you said, I have run through a troop. and let, You know what David said? I couldn't have done it if my soul, the candle of my soul wasn't lit. That's the context. Thou will light my candle, for by thee I have run through it. He said, I couldn't have done anything if it wouldn't have been for you lighting my soul. Let me tell you. We quote that verse and get excited about it, but what we really need is for the Holy Ghost to light our soul. We need our soul built up. And so part of that is learning to yield yourselves to praying in the Holy Ghost. Let your spirit ask God what it wants. Free yourself to, to talk and interact with the Spirit of God because you need your candle to be lit. Can we lift our hands all over this place? God, I pray, Lord, that as we go on this prayer journey, I pray, God, that you would help us to understand that there must be times that we need these moments when our soul interacts with you without, without our human pride and understanding and, and our, our will getting intertwined with it, God, where I just need my soul to be able to talk to you. I, I don't always know what to pray for. I don't always know what I need, but God, my soul... And you know. So God, I'm asking you as we go on this prayer journey that not only will I learn to, to build my relationship with you through prayer and relational prayer, but also God, that I can yield to where I pray in the Holy Ghost and that your spirit can pray through me the things that I really need, that my church really needs, that my family really needs, that my children really need. God, I don't know all the trials and tests and tribulations that these good people that are in front of me have in their life. God, it would be impossible for me to know all the burdens and cares that we all face, but God, you know it all. And so God, I pray that you help us, that when we pray to find time to pray in the Holy Ghost, to be led by your Spirit, that you can speak through us and in us. And God, I pray that we would become a great generation of prayer warriors. God, that we would rise up in this church as a group of people that know how to touch heaven and that can change things on this earth through praying in the Holy Ghost. God, I ask you to bless these good folks this week. I ask you to add your blessing to their lives. I pray, God, let the anointing of your spirit move in their families to guide them and guard them in your word and in your presence. Keep them safe and bring us back. Help us have an awesome weekend. Anoint all of our life groups this week so we can grow in dis as disciples of you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed in Jesus' name. Yes, Difference Makers at 845 Sunday morning.